This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we're taking a look at what's happening in North Carolina politics for the week of Monday, March 22nd. Welcome to Under the Dome for the week of March 22nd. I'm Colin Campbell, editor of the NC Insider, and we're going to give you an update on what to look for this week uh, as the legislature gets back in action in the next couple days from its uh, long weekend, sort of, I guess, fueled by the potential of severe weather that only parts of the states actually got. Uh, it was quite nice where I was. It would have been a nice day in Raleigh for legislating uh, this last Thursday, but uh, the forecast said otherwise. So the legislature left town early, uh, which means they've got more to do in the coming weeks. So joining me to talk about it, uh, in and politics reporter Don Vaughn is here. Um, and let's get started with the, some of the three things you need to know. So I think uh, one is going to be the, the perennial issue of the Governor Cooper's executive orders. They expire in uh, just a matter of days uh, as far as the current restrictions on businesses for COVID. Don, what do we think is going to happen as far as uh, what the governor might announce this week? Well, Governor Cooper does not like to tell people more than uh, in advance, more than just a couple days before the order expires, even though I push on that as much as I can. Uh, So the current order expires on Friday the 26th. And he said in his most recent press conference that he will be lifting restrictions, looking at lifting restrictions, whatever, you know, the the nebulous way of saying um, something concrete is. So the the data and science and data, as they say time and time again, or look- do what works. <laughs> it's uh, it's looking good to turn the dimmer switch in the way of lifting restrictions. And some factors there are are bars, which under this order, only just under this most recent order this past month, um, has been allowed to open inside and other like sports spectators, gathering size, that sort of thing. So I think what we can expect is the gathering size to change, uh, especially since the percent positive rate um, in the state, you know, is so low, hospitalizations down, that sort of thing, and vaccinations going up. Uh, exact numbers, we, you know, that'll be something to watch. And then how will that change with sports and other venues? Because people like to make summertime plans. And the bars restaurant capacity, that's kind of that wild card out there as far as like what the percentage it's going to change, if it's going to change. But I think that there will be people that are happy with the announcement, and there are people that will say not enough, um, including our uh, 170, or at least like one one side of the aisle, uh, <laughs> lawmakers uh, at the legislature. And that's something that could come as a result of it if Cooper doesn't lift things or ease things as much as Republicans want and some Democrats want. Then I think we could look at um, some some new bills that would that would change that. Of course, Cooper can just veto them. Yeah. And there, there's a couple bills out there already. The one that I've been watching is this raft of like different bills. Some are statewide, some are local, but local to like 10 counties each under the local bill process. And they're all to raise the capacity of spectator sports, mainly aimed at like high school outdoor sports. There's some that affect some indoor stuff as well. That's all allowed, I think, at around 30% under the current executive order. Most of these would take it to 50%. And it's been fun to watch because there's just so many of the bills, for one thing. Um, and obviously, the doing it as a local bill would go around Cooper and keep him from vetoing a, a statewide measure. But both chambers keep passing these bills, but the other chamber doesn't act on them. So like the Senate passed a bill, Senate to the House, House sat on it for two weeks. The House passed a very similar bill. Senate's been sitting on it for two weeks. So it's, it's sort of unclear, do they actually want to uh, change what the current executive order does? Or are they waiting on Cooper to see what he does next? 
Or is this all just sort of a political statement to make to show that, hey, I, your local senator, are doing what I can to get, you know, high school sports back in action and make sure you can see the kids play? All of the above, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think entirely possible that it's, it's all of the above. But anyway, two of those local bills, I think, will be on the Senate floor Monday night um, for a vote. Uh, so far, those have been passing uh, either on voice votes where you can't see how they voted or uh, with sort of a Republican, all the Republicans and then a few of the Democrats. So, you know. Remains to be seen what those will do. Uh, there's also a House bill floating around. I don't think it's gotten a hearing yet that would uh, pretty much eliminate the caps on restaurant capacity uh, and replace those with some sort of basic uh, safety measures like taking your staff's temperature when they come to work. Um, so I, th- I think that's sort of waiting in the wings, depending on what Cooper ends up doing uh, this coming week. Um, maybe he does that himself and restaurants go back to to full capacity or maybe they only go back to 75% or full capacity outdoors or or something like that. I think that's all waiting to see. And then uh, as I think you noted on the press conference the other day, the churches would really love to know what to do ahead of, you know, Easter and and Passover in terms of how many people they should have. They they can technically do whatever they want because of the lawsuit last year that said the state can't regulate that. But a lot of them are looking to, to make sure they're doing it responsibly and um, not, you know, creating a super spreader event for a religious holiday. I think people are, yeah, they're looking for guidance, you know, not just the law and, and, you know, Passover Seder meals, you know, in somebody's home, like if they, you know, have guidance on that of, of churches that have been, who, who haven't, you know, wanted to use the exception and have been, you know, rem- or online only remote, you know, worshiping, um, and uh, have had outside services or what they should do. And, you know, it's these, uh, you know, I covered religion for a long time. People plan this stuff out for, you know, Lent is 40 days. People plan this stuff out for a while and they want to know um, what they should be doing. And they're looking to our state's top leaders for guidance, but um, they haven't gotten any yet because I asked and that was my follow-up question too. So maybe we'll find out this week or maybe they want to leave it up to you. I don't know. Yeah. I think we'll also, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw this week, some changes in the the vaccination schedule, because just within the last couple of days, as we're recording this, a couple of places have already said, we're just open it wide open. We're not worrying about the second half of group four. We're just going to say, if you're, you're 18 and up, you can go get a vaccine. So as of this week, um, if you can snag an appointment at Cape Fear Valley Health in Fayetteville, which shout out, that's where I got, I got my vaccine and I get to go back this week for my second dose. Or if you want to go to Greene County um, in Eastern North Carolina or Craven County, which is where New Bern is, they've pretty much opened up their uh, eligibility to anybody 18 and up. So it'd be interesting to see if uh, the state follows suit. That's happened a couple times before. Um, I think when group three got moved up um, on the state schedule, um, that actually followed Cape Fear Valley Health uh, doing it the week before. So uh, we'll see if the governor sees uh, indications that um, that can be done at a statewide level too. It's been interesting to see how how sparse these vaccines were. And then really, I feel like the Johnson Johnson, you know, one and done, insert Duke basketball player joke here, um, really just kind of opened the floodgates for for everybody. And and yes, it's still limited and it's, you know, not that easy to, to get an appointment or, or show up. It's, it is for some people, harder for others. Um, but, you know, I think we're Oh, we could be a month away from, well, I know that the Biden administration wants everybody to be you know, a month and a half from wh- away from opening it up to everyone. So there'll eventually be a time where they're trying to get people to take it to help with herd immunity instead of, um, you know, just that search to get the vaccine doses. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and while we're on the topic of what Cooper might do, uh, we were also, you're hearing rumblings that a uh, Cooper budget proposal might uh, show up in the next week. Yes. Again, with, you know, Cooper won't definitively tell. He's going to dominate the headlines this week. I just have a feeling for it. 
Yeah, it's definitely. So he said, hopefully or hope or, you know, so again, like that, that could change, but plans to uh, present his budget proposal uh, later this week. So we'll, we'll see if that happens. Um, will it come during a COVID press briefing? My preference is not, so I can actually read it, you know, before asking questions about it. Uh, the legislature, I'm sure. Why would you want to read it, Don? <laughs> the legislature, I'm sure, would like to go through it before they uh, come with their rebuttal uh, press releases. But they, I believe they do get, you know, a little bit of a heads up. The, the public and, and press doesn't always, even the local government does this. So shout out to, you know, local government uh, briefings uh, ahead of um, budget proposals. And this is just a governor, not even the, you know, the, um, the general assembly as far as budget proposal goes. So, you know, the big thing everyone's going to be listening for is the raises, you know, teachers didn't get raises, they got those bonuses and step raises and the, and a smaller bill. Um, but the big budget fight, you know, two years ago, are we going to have a rematch of how, you know, how much of a raise should, should teachers get? Should, what about the rest of school staff? How much should they get? What about the other state employees? Cause they want to get paid too. And is Medicaid expansion going to be, um, you know, part of the fight this year? Um, I'm leaning toward probably not. Um, but we'll, we'll see about that. And, and what new surprise will be something that they send official letters to each other on letterhead as they argue over the budget process the, the coming week. So, <laughs> Those are my favorites, the like war of uh, the pistolary um, debates that they have with each other um, through strongly worded letters. Uh, but yeah, nice, nice reference there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think, you know, we've got a, about a month or so out at least before we probably see if, if they stick to their schedule in years past uh, a legislative budget proposal. Although what's been interesting to see is they, they filed these blank budget bills that like, I guess would be sort of the shell of the initial eventual, eventual budget that they put out. Um, and this year, what I've noticed is they've got separate ones for like a COVID related budget. Um, so I haven't been able to get a sense for that's if the state money that they want to spend on COVID recovery, or if they've got some more federal money that they're going to uh, get to play with in the, the next couple of months. Um, but that'll be something to, to watch for sure and, and see, you know, I think the battle is definitely going to continue as to um, whether state funds and some of the state reserves should be spent on some of the long term COVID related needs versus just use federal money for all of that and focus the state money on things that you'd be doing regardless of COVID. Right. You've already seen some, some of the lawmakers have filed um, appropriations bills, which are basically, you know, they don't necessarily go through the whole committee and floor vote process, but are a way of, of or getting on the record what you and individual legislator want to see in the budget proposal. So there are things like funding for expansion of, you know, cultural resources, attraction sites, funding for like individual projects and sort of pork projects in your own district. So some of those have already popped up publicly. And if you peruse the bill filings, you can you can see a fair number of those um, floating around. Um, and then one thing that I think will require some appropriations from the looks of it, but it is getting a, at least a committee hearing this coming week is on broadband. Um, we've been hearing a lot of talk uh, going into this year's session about the need for rural broadband. Certainly the past year of COVID has really emphasized the, the digital divide in the state um, in terms of who has high-speed internet and who doesn't. Um, and so a lot of lawmakers have said that's going to be a priority, but so far we haven't seen a whole lot of legislation on that front. I think in part because it will roll into the budget. It's, it's something that takes a lot of money. Um, the first uh, stage of this is a bill from Representative Dean Arp, who's sort of the, the House Republicans' uh, broadband guru. He runs run these bills every year um, on, on different topics of this. Uh, and the one he's got in committee later this week um, is about broadband mapping. And so giving the state Department of IT 
enough funding to do its own mapping of, you know, where are the broadband gaps? Where are the underserved areas? Because the big problem uh, the state has faced over the last couple of years uh, in giving out these broadband grants is the data is based on census tracts. So like I'm sitting in uh, an incorporated municipal area right now and I have a decent internet connection to record this podcast. If I went 10 miles outside outside of town, I might be in the same census tract, but I might have you know, dial-up speed internet and the way the FCC has done it, the fact that you can get it somewhere into the census tract means this whole census tract has broadband and therefore doesn't need, you know, money to come in to uh, pay for grants or other things to, to connect these other households. So if the state did its own mapping, uh, I think the hope is that they could get a lot more granular about which road doesn't have any houses with decent internet and and how do you fix that problem? So I think that's, that's going to be one to watch for and um, see how that whole process gets, uh, mapped out as it were. And that I think everything can cross over the budget and COVID and and you're right what you were saying about the the federal money and it could be Cooper could have two proposals, one of just state budget, one about to spend um the COVID money and maybe that'll be something that we see uh, roll out this week cuz the you know general assembly is going to have to spend more money from the federal government too for COVID. So we'll find out. Yeah, or that could be another one that uh, gets dragged out for several weeks as they hash everything out uh, behind the scenes between the House and the Senate. That's another sort of process thing that policy nerds will note this year. There seems to be a lot more of what they call pre-conferencing, which is where uh, instead of the House coming out publicly and with its proposal and going through the committee process where legislators from both parties can do amendments and make changes to things, the COVID bills with money in them so far have been pre-conference, which means the top House people, the top Senate people, pretty much all Republicans get together uh, in a you know private meeting and decide what the bill is going to look like. And then by the time it's seen publicly, it's a lot closer to the final version than it would be in sort of the the older process where it, it takes longer and you you know have separate bills in each chamber. So it'll be interesting to see if that process continues both for further COVID money from the federal government and for the general budget process that we see this year. And you know, as a transparency issue, I think it you know it's better for us to cover and, and to see the the workings in the process if it goes the old way where a lot of the stuff happens publicly in the, the House and Senate committees. All right. Well, I think that's about it. it covers what uh, to look for this week. Uh, I'm Colin Campbell for Don Vaughn. Thanks so much for listening and we'll uh, catch you soon. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.